So Aya, welcome to Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment and zero carbon goals. This week, we have a bit of a hastily put together podcast to spread the word about the Buildings Action Coalition. Now, last week, there was an event held in Enniscorthy, County Wexford in the Republic of Ireland. We were going to do an episode where he reported back to us what had happened, what he'd learned and what he thought the significance was since Alex and I had been unable to attend. However, Jeff was able to arrange for us to be joined by two of the important organisers from the event. So we were joined by Scott Foster, former guest of the show. He's also former, more significantly, former Director of Sustainable Energy for the UN Economic Commission for Europe. Uh, he's one of those behind-the-scenes string-pulling figures, like, albeit one who seems to find himself front of house a lot, but not out of vanity, I might add. We're also joined by CEO of the Enniscorthy Forum, Barbara Ann Murphy. She's also a local councillor, a figurehead and a leader for this initiative. Now, the, the Enniscorthy Forum is the, the parent body to the Buildings Action Coalition. I mean, what that is, we'll let our guests explain more. But broadly, it's a coalition of professionals from all areas of the built environment who are being brought together to support a UN-backed global target for near-zero emissions and resilient buildings to become the new normal by 2030. And when I say UN, in this instance, I mean the UN Environment Programme, UNEP, and more specifically, UNEP's Global Alliance for Buildings and Construction, the Global ABC, which is mentioned later. I mean, I know there's a lot of acronyms. We complain about that at some point in the podcast. Anyway, mindful of this 2030 deadline, this is one of a series of initiatives that are setting out to turbocharge our progress and enable people to work together to make this a decade of delivery, given that the longer this takes, the more we narrow our chances of survival. So this sort of thing should really be of interest to most of our listeners. It's something we really believe in, and we believe that all of you and the wider industry will really benefit from. I mean, I'll let the conversation roll in a minute. Our guests can explain better than I. I'll just do housekeeping. Um, please rate the podcast. If you like it at all, five stars, please. This isn't really out of vanity or neediness. It's because they all exist in a broken algorithmic rating system. So there's no longer room for any nuance. Nothing but five stars counts in terms of visibility on the platform. So uh, yeah, if you could, that would be great. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. Uh, we would like you to share the podcast. I mean, if you get something out of it, you probably know someone else who will too. And if you don't, no problem. Check the show notes for links and things that we're talking about today. It's early days for the Buildings Action Coalition, but it's important. Subscribe to Passive House Plus. It's not just about passive house and advertise if you can. It's really important that that vehicle makes money, as much money as it can, because it plows nearly all of its revenue into the product. As ever, join ACAN, join the ECB, join the IGBC. All of those people are doing great work. And talk to us at Zero Ambitions Partners if you need any help addressing any of the issues that we talk about from decarbonisation strategy to product development, customer research, user experience, messaging, or even networking. We know a lot of people. We can help in a lot of ways. All the contacts are in the show notes. Right, I'll let it go. I suppose finally, thank you for listening. Cheers.
well, we've not met Barbara. I have attended your webinars, so I am familiar with you, but I'm sure I have my camera off. I think you had your camera off. Barbara, you go by Barbara Ann, not Barbara. Isn't that correct? I do. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, from, I'm from one of those Irish families where I was to be called Anne after my mother. And because I was a home delivery and the district nurse who delivered me, she said, you cannot call her Anne Murphy. Every second child on the road is called Anne Murphy. So she went away and came back and said, looked up at the Bible. She'll be called Barbara Anne. So I was called Barbara Anne. And BA and bad attitude and all those other. Um... <laughs> BA as in BA Baracus. Yeah, you yes. Know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really see the resemblance, to be honest, Jeff. Yeah. I'm sure we can see a gold chain there, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think um... it was the attitude, not the chains. <laughs> maybe, do you have the uh, the aversion to flying or is that unethical grounds? Uh, we're... <laughs> 2018, that was our kind of era growing up. So uh, one of the things. Uh, I ain't getting on no damn plane, fool. I think was 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 the line. I think I'm I think I'm quite opposite to him because I won't I won't just rough it in the back of a van. <laughs> so we would have to drug you with the milk or the burger to get you in the back of the <laughs> van or on a plane. That's what they. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now you found that all my secrets. You've got them all. <laughs> my sister is actually named after an eighteen character. I believe it or not. Um, which tells you something about how irresponsible my, my parents were. They asked when my when my mum was pregnant, uh, they asked myself and my brother what name the baby should be. And we had all these names like, you know, Han or Luke or, or whatever. Um, and then they said, what if it's a girl? And we were kind of shocked and appalled at the idea that it could be. So the one girl that we could think of, uh, I, I presume it's Leia. But um, other than that, was, uh, was there was a bomb expert in the A-team called Amy. Um, <laughs> So that's where my sister got her name from. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yeah. So I should I should do the introductions. Um, so um, so at this point we went around the table introducing ourselves. I mean, you know who we are. So I'll spare you having to listen to us going on about who we are, what we've done, why we're here. We'll just jump to Barbara Ann and Scott instead. Um, Barbara Ann. Um, can you tell us, like, I'm really curious as to where you come from. That's exactly where I wanted to go. Uh, yeah. Barbara, Ann, did you end up getting involved in all this madness? I was elected to Wexford County Council in 2004. And because of that, I have been involved in planning, uh, development plans, and people's um, interest in building their own homes, in trying to get planning permissions for people, in trying to work out why people want to live where they are looking for to get the plan. And is it because that's where they can afford? Or is that where their sense of place is? Or is that because it's the only place they could buy? Um, and that comes down to, I suppose, what started me. Uh, and then I built my own home at, uh, in 2008. It's not a passive house. My brother-in-law built it for me. He didn't have the, he didn't have anything like the, the, um, the necessary uh, know-how to be able to do passive. And I suppose I wasn't pushing, but I did get, a, it is a, a B1 rate, energy rated house, uh, which will go up higher when I put in my PV panels this summer. But because I was interested and because I had been involved in working on county development plans with Wexford County Council, I developed a real interest in buildings. And I visited my first passive house, I think it was in 2007, my mom was built here in County Wexford and they, I, we were as local councillors were brought on the tour of it I wasn't quite sure how it worked and I think the architect wasn't quite sure how it worked <laughs> because he certainly didn't get the message across but it was something that greatly interested me so every time I got the opportunity to learn more I did 
Um, my background is not at all to do with buildings other than that. My background is dealing with people and trying to get people to bring people along in a community effort to move us all along in, in the same direction, identify where we want to go and then plan on how we're going to get there. I would think that's probably why I was given the job. It's not quite like herding cats. It's actually yeah. more difficult. Um, and I think I did when the um, when we changed our regulations here to nearly near nearly zero energy buildings, I did at the first opportunity, I did the um, the fundamentals course here in Anascorthy within wow. the first month because I'm nosy and because I want to know. <laughs> and if others, if I'm going to be talking about this, I need to know about it. So I'm going to have to find out about it. And the only way to find out at the time was to do it myself. So yeah. I did it and I could listen to other people talking about it. I then discussed it with I, I've no children of my own, but I have nieces and nephews who are coming to the age where they were going to be buying their houses or building their own homes. And they have all done that course, that fundamentals course now, because they see if, if they have that knowledge, then they can apply it to wherever they're going to be building and are, are living to retrofit. Um, when we were talking about retrofit there a few minutes ago, the big problem with retrofit is one size doesn't fit all. Yeah. And even if homes in a, in a scheme of homes are all designed in the same way initially how how families have changed them while they were living in them and then even the direction and 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 how they are placed on the site will influence how they should be treated in the future so for retrofit so uh, it's not a one size fits all so we each have to learn for ourselves and it makes it all more difficult and more challenging but more worthwhile to be able to achieve it so that's where I come from. And and, and in terms of the form itself, because we, we kind of come about this a bit backwards, but um, so Barbara Ann is the CEO of Enniscorthy Forum. Um, and Enniscorthy Forum has launched this project called the Buildings Action Coalition, uh, which uh, I'm very pleased uh, from my perspective, and I think I can sure speak for, for Dan Alex to be to be getting involved in. Um, just in terms of the history of that, uh, I'm presuming... Well, Jeff, before we get into the history, should we introduce Scott? Well, this is well. where it was. This is where I was going, actually. All right. Um, so uh, I'm presuming, Barbara Ann, that you, because uh, Scott first appeared on the scene here uh, a few years ago when Tomas O'Leary and his colleagues were organising um, the World Enzab Forum, um, and in fact, before that, I think I think in the after, in the lead up to that, I know you you done some of that before, but Scott, maybe if you could give a bit of background on your. Uh, involvement in in the with the at the anoraks the Irish low energy anoraks yeah you're muted Scott I think or not your volume's you, gone you're very quiet there you I'll go. shout it out is that better yeah we yeah. can hear you now all right uh, it actually goes back to 2017 uh, now at this point we had a bit of a palaver because Scott's microphone went so we ended up faffing he joins us again but. Just heads up, he's quiet all the way through from now on. We got him to position himself closer to his working microphone, but I think he's still quiet all the way through. Oh, by the by, Jeff keeps pointedly referring to anoraks because that was uh, a joke that was made in the bit we cut out for you. Apparently, to refer to someone as an anorak isn't really a thing in America. Who knew? But the reference is clear from here on in. And for anyone who doesn't understand the reference to anoraks, 
I think it generally refers to some sort of semi-obsessive nerd, like a bird watcher or a, a train spotter, someone for whom the, the aesthetic appeal of their clothing matters less than the, the function. Anyway, Scott's back now, I'm sure. I'll spare the listeners us banging on about ourselves. Yes. Interesting, uh, interesting. You're back. Oh. You're back. You're yeah, there. yeah, very quiet. Very yeah. quiet. Really strange. I don't know why that is, but I'll shout it out. Now we agree. That's excellent. Yeah. My involvement in this program actually goes back to 2017. I was invited by uh, Tomas O'Leary and Bob Cady to join the famous gathering in Brussels. And I didn't go for the whole program. I couldn't. That needs that, that needs explaining too, Scott, by the, the, our listeners won't have any understanding of what you mean by this famous gathering in Brussels as much as I yeah, we, we have a, a largely uh, English audience, I think. Well, it's broad enough, but yeah. It's, it's pretty broad. So, I mean, just be wary of mentioning Brussels too much. It will either provoke anger in terms of jealousy or or fear or rejection. So just, <laughs> just be mindful. Yeah. A group of Americans were invited by Tomas O'Leary to go to Brussels, not because of the EU, but because of the city of Brussels, had been very avant-garde in terms of the pro programs and policies that they were putting in place. So we had, I shouldn't include just Americans, they also had Canadians involved. So you had Vancouver, you had uh, Washington State, you had Pittsburgh, you had uh, Washington, D.C. A range of people, about 15 of them, came to Brussels to get an expose on this thing called Passive House. Tomas O'Leary, a native son of Ennis Corthy, was a prime instigator of that visit. Well, Bob and Tomas invited me to join uh, in the evening. So I went along and I heard what they had to say. I had my own remarks to make. And I came away extremely impressed. So we invited Tomas and Bob, I think the following week or in the following days, to come join the group of experts working on energy efficiency at United Nations Economic Commission for Europe in Geneva. And that started a process where we developed um, high-performance uh, standards, energy efficiency standards for buildings. And those went through the entire committee and became uh, approved as Framework Guidelines for Energy Efficiency Standards in Buildings. That's a UN thing. That one thing led to another um, in discussions with Tomas. He really wanted to establish Enniscorthy as a mecca, bringing the world to Enniscorthy to teach and train on uh, how to do Passive House in particular. During that period, we got into discussions with various bits and pieces. And if you think about the passive house, I'll say standard, that's really all about the envelope. But if you add in the systems, the um, heating, ventilating, air conditioning, other systems that go into a building, you think about where the energy comes from to drive those systems. You think about the ICT that connects the buildings to the external environment. You think about mobility, you think about water. Suddenly you realize that buildings in the built environment are much more than simply passive. So we decided to baptize it the High Performance Buildings Initiative. 
Um, because of this desire to have a Mecca in Enniscorthy, I came over to Enniscorthy and we signed a letter of intent with the then housing minister, Owen uh, Murphy. Uh, and that was really what got the ball going. We then went into various discussions. We assembled a group of people together and launched the High Performance Buildings Initiative. And it was towards the end of that period that Tomas invited me up to the uh, World Passive House um, Gathering. I don't know what the formal name of it was. The World NZEP Forum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. NZEP Forum. And that was really fantastic. We met with a number of different ministries in Ireland and just great enthusiasm for the whole program. Well, time went on, and uh, the folks in Wexford, we were trying to find a place to stick the secretariat for this initiative, and our member states said, we do not want the secretariat to be in the UN. So we were looking for external people to be um, um, the secretariat, and we were talking to the Wexford folks, but they didn't want to have a separate um, center of Excellence for High Performance Buildings and the Secretariat as separate entities. They wanted them to be one and together. And we said, well, that's actually not positive if you have a possible. If you have a full network, the Secretariat needs to be independent of them. So it looked like it wasn't going to work and we were going to take the Secretariat somewhere else. And the Chamber of Commerce uh, in Enniscorthy said, no, 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 no. Don't let this get away from us. And a few stout characters under the Chamber of Commerce of Enniscorthy, and I'm not getting the whole name right, but the Enniscorthy Chamber of Commerce, they set up the Enniscorthy Forum to serve that purpose. Now, ECE has gone and, and had difficulties with the MOU that they had put together, I had put together, over the course of two or three years. So they've retrenched, and they've kind of broken off all of the MOUs that were put in place and signed, and they're going to come back at some point. I don't know when that might be, but they're sorting out their um, their apples and oranges and pears and nuts and the rest of it. When they come back, we'll be completely uh, prepared to collaborate with them. But in the meantime, my counterpart at UNEP, Mark Radka, he said, we're doing this global ABC business and we love this whole high performance buildings business. Can we develop a, a series of projects and activities to support the building's breakthrough target that the global ABC is pursuing. That was the foundation for the um, MOU that we just signed with UNEP. Um, so we're looking for UNECE to come back, but in the meantime, we're out on another date. That is a beautiful and clear summary of the likes of which I hadn't actually heard yet. So thank you. So I didn't know what I was signing up for. <laughs> well, now you're I wouldn't have signed up now. Right? Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> No, that, that that that's very very helpful actually. So and and congratulations by the way. Um, I have to say, on on landing uh, this collaboration with UNEP too. The Global ABC for anyone who's not uh, familiar, they're the Global Alliance for Buildings and Construction. I love the kind of there's a slight tautology in there. Uh, buildings. I guess there is other construction uh, other than buildings. There's infrastructure as well. And I'm learning, doing a little bit of digging to understand a bit more about them and 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 how far they've gone on their journey as well with this the buildings breakthrough. That's the other thing that's worth mentioning to listeners. There were about five breakthrough targets agreed at COP26 in Glasgow, and um, and they were, as I recall, at steel, hydrogen, power, 
agriculture and transport, I think, were the five. And the um, the elephant in the room, uh, or the elephant looking for a room in this case, was that there was no building as such uh, to break through. So, uh, well, is it is it not worth explaining what the go back to COP twenty six? So yeah. the Glasgow Breakthrough Agenda, what was that? As I understand it, it was a recognition that we've got some pretty heavy targets to meet if we're not going to, by 2030, if we're not going to have the world burning. Paris basically committed the world to try to keep it to one and a half degrees, at least well below two degrees. Honestly, we're missing them desperately badly. And it's recognized that if we don't get on with things, uh, we're not going to make our target. So at the COP26, um, a bunch of world leaders, I think the number is 70% of global GDP in the countries that launched the uh, Glasgow Breakthrough Agenda. And the idea, it's a clean technology plan, global, uh, to keep one and a half degrees within reach. And you said it correctly, you've got clean power, you've got road transport, you've got steel, hydrogen, and agriculture. They're all there. There's some broad statement of ambition and then they've come in with some very specific active projects and actions to be done. So let me, I'll read out because I got it on my screen, the one for clean power. Um, clean power, the most affordable and reliable option for all countries to meet their power needs efficiently by 2030. So that's the clean power one. They're then going to go through and pursue, um, for example, um, hydrogen um uh, they're going to pursue electric vehicles. They're going to pursue um, renewables in particular. They're all part of the clean power agenda, and they're putting in specific programs and projects. The French, and I've got a little anecdote on the global ABC, uh, Yves Laurent Sapoval is the gentleman who spoke to our summit last week. Oh. He was the driver who made uh, the global ABC happen. And while he was setting it up, he was trying to get all sorts of players to sign up for it. And I dragged my then executive secretary, uh, uh, Christian uh, Friesbach, uh, to Paris. And we drove down on the back of a motorcycle in a pouring down rain to get him to sign on to the Global ABC. So Yves Laurent and I go back a long way. So now the French are coming in and saying, excuse me, but you can't ignore buildings in the built environment. It's, it's essential. All of these others, and Vivian um, Loftness said this during her presentation uh, at the summit last week, if you ignore buildings, that's where all the electricity is used. That's where mobility uh, is a driving force. So you get the built environment right, and you've solved most of the problem. So they've come out with the following breakthrough target, near zero emission and resilient buildings are the new normal by 2030. That's actually very, very ambition, vicious. I don't think it goes far enough in terms of how you define the built environment, but doing it all by 2030 is very, very aggressive. So that's that's what we're aiming for. So we've got the bigger picture. So the reason why we've got you two on today uh, is because, so last week, this memorandum of understanding was signed between a broad range of signatories from all over the world with specific reference to the Buildings Action Committee that has been set up under the auspices of the Enniscorthy Forum. 
So you now you have a, a home location, thankfully provided by Barbara, and you have a committee or coalition, sorry, the Buildings Action Coalition. Sorry, I keep getting that wrong. I did that the other day when we were speaking. Apologies. I'm ashamed. Um, I got you and ECE wrong if it's any consolation as well. <laughs> so. I mean, this is this is what, it, anyway, in fact, before I get into my gripe about acronyms and initials, this coalition has been set up to help address these targets. So you're pulling together people from all over the world in all sorts of aspects of the built environment. So what is the, the Buildings Action Coalition then specifically? Like, how is that... What, how has that been set up to to address this? And what was the, the memorandum that was signed last week? What's the significance of that? Because we've got you on because it is significant. I'll let Barbara Ann give it a first shot and I'll come in after. Okay. The Buildings Action Coalition. And the word that's really important in that is action. Because there's been so many times that we've turned up at openings and curtain calls and so on that nothing has happened. And the Buildings Action Coalition is people who are at the moment and have been for a long time working on this in their own community, within their own little environment, whether that's within education, within universities, within community or whatever, and they are, are within local government, they're working on this and they have been. But the beauty of people working in this area is they are not selfish with their knowledge. They know we haven't got time to be selfish. And what they want to do is share their knowledge, share their learnings and share their questions. Because sometimes I can share what I know with you, but I can also share the things I haven't been able to find out. But you may have the answer to that. And we bringing together people. And I suppose we mentioned earlier in, in, in our chat before we got we got into this about we're talking about having people in the room. We're talking about having interaction with real human beings. Mm. And this is where it happens and this is where it works. And we're the conduit through which this can work. But we know if you're going to work in your own little silo, you would probably do wonderful work. But if we can magnify the wonderful work that you're doing by linking you with other people, and you may not link with everyone in the coalition because that not may, may, may not they may not be working on a path that, that you're interested in, but you will find like-minded souls within our coalition that you will work with and will magnify your work and will make it that we produce action that is going to make a discernible difference. And that's what we're there for. I think it's that's very powerful. And you know what? I think um, one of the things that I see as being very valuable from this is that it feels like there's a voice and opportunity for people who, who are kind of anarchy, who are deeply enmeshed in the subject to share knowledge, even internationally. And there, these are people who often are doing amazing work that isn't always listened to in the ways that they're not necessarily often natural communicators, you know. Um, but um, I just see, I, like, I've been privy to the process of, of you know, building regulations changing, for instance, in, in, in Ireland on several occasions. And it's a political process as much as anything else. So you have this kind of stakeholder engagement that you've got to do with a lot of people who are kind of resistant to the idea of regulations changing. And uh, consequently, and you have officials who are kind of probably a little bit nervous about uh, uh, pushing things too far ahead of the industry, making life too difficult for the as uh, the, the maxim that gets used very patronizingly is the kind of humble country builder. Seriously, you know. And, um, Introduce them to some of our humble country builders who are building the highest standard well, buildings that we are seeing around our countryside. 
That, to live is to change. To be perfect is to have changed often. We need to continue and to work towards perfection. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we see, you know, uh, people like uh, Michael Bennett, uh, from Enniscorthy, who's not, uh, again, I don't want to patronize him. He's a, he's a very knowledgeable fellow. He's done powerful work. But, but you know, he, he, he would look and feel, as a local construction federation representative, as he has been in the past, he'd feel like, an establishment builder in some ways, you know, and for him to be doing sort of revolutionary stuff and building to genuinely world-class performance levels, you know, objectively, um, uh, it's it's kind of hard to dismiss him as a as a, a crazy kind of loony green, you know, for the, for those reasons. Um, but you see, these if you can build buildings right, if you can make them absolutely right, and I am a total convert to this, you are improving life, our lives for all of us. Everyone living in, in a building that has that standard is their lives are better than the, in the, in their previous, in the previous homes that they lived in. And it's the same for office buildings. It would be the same for schools, for, the, for hospitals, for all the different buildings we are using. And we need to build them to the highest standard. And absolutely, we need to get to the high performance buildings very, very quickly. And it has benefits for ourselves, for our health. For our for our uh, for our general outlook, I can remember my mother shouting, close, "Close that door! I'm not paying to heat the street." People living in homes that are passive or that are nearly zero, they say, "You don't close the doors within the house because it's an ambient temperature throughout. They don't have to close doors. They're all the same. There's no drafts. There's no whatever." You know, I grew up in a drafty old farmhouse. To try to retrofit that is going, to, you know, is, is is going to be a challenge. We will do it someday. We will find a way, but. At the moment, we are where we need to go with this. Mm. And I think I've lost my train of thought. But <laughs> No. Uh, it, it's been really interesting seeing. So Alex and I weren't able to attend. Uh, we had prior commitments, but Jeff made it there in our stead. He's our signatory. And it was interesting. It has been interesting watching the timeline on LinkedIn with people, like a broad range of people within our network who attended and people from without of it who we have no idea who were just seeing people delightedly posting all these pictures because they felt honored to have been there. But sorry, my point was that it's an interesting array of folk. Like it's, you know, your traditional uh, building hippies, like the AECB. I know they're not really hippies. Uh, you've got uh, folk like Jeff. You've got people like Richard Orr from River Clyde Homes, like a, a friend of the show who's not been on yet, hopefully coming on soon, because they're doing some amazing work. Like so social housing people, it's not just and even the likes of for like Kingspan. So you've got this really weird mix of people who are forming a coalition to make lives better through the built environment. Like what I'm really curious about now is what so we've we've been attending the activity, some of the activity that's been taking place so far. So I've had the privilege of being able to attend the webinars. So you've got experts from all over the world who are presenting their knowledge, like friends of the show Best presented the other week. You had Tomas O'Leary, uh, from, I can't remember the name of uh, the lady that's from Maine. That's it, yep. Yeah. And it, it's not all passive house focused either, importantly. Um now we have this memorandum of understanding in place. We have a, a coalition with a big chunk of influential people from all the way from Enniscorthy to India. Like, what happens next? I give that one a shot, Barbara Ann. Um, Go ahead, Scott. 
Let me finish real quick on the breakthrough targets. Um, you're really, really quiet, by the way, Scott. Uh, you're, you're, really you're, yeah, you're, you're louder than you were at the very start, but you're, but you're not, you're not as loud as you were the last time you spoke. Um, so go on. Lean in a bit more. Some noodle. I've stuck noodles into my microphone, apparently. <laughs> um, on the breakthrough targets, Ireland has actually signed up for all five of the ones we've got. And the building's breakthrough target is consistent with Irish policy. So it's actually a bit of a no-brainer that Ireland is going to sign up for that target. We've succeeded with our agitation of getting it onto the government's agenda. So that's um, a major step. So when I think through what's next, um, I would like to put a javelin throw out there and say that we are going to have a measurable impact on the performance of the built environment within three years, possibly within five years, but somewhere in that time frame. So then you have to say, what do you mean by performance? And our community is not just the architects talking to each other. I was invited to the World Gas Conference once. I spoke to them as a keynote speaker. And I said it was very impressive to be there, to listen to the gas industry talking to the gas industry about how wonderful gas is. I said, you guys need to get out more often. Um, and the idea of talking to other communities and speaking across as they say, silos, that's something we've been very attentive to. So we're not only talking to the passive community, but all of those communities that I mentioned earlier about the different outcomes you should expect, they need to be involved. Also, if I'm coming up with a high performance uh, objective for Helsinki, how I deliver high performance is not at all the same as it'll be in Rio de Janeiro. The climate is different. The culture is different. It's all different. So we're very focused on a principles-based approach as opposed to code and regulation that is, if you will, end-of-pipe regulation. We want people to be delivering outcomes as opposed to telling them how to get about their business which is why these webcasts and these seminars are extremely important so people can understand why is a certain approach being taken in one place and a different approach somewhere else, but you're getting that same result, the same 15 kilowatt hours per square meter per year objective. So one aspect for what do we do next? We've got to get to a much bigger community that is global in scale and it reflects politics, it reflects um, it reflects academia, as Barbara Ann has pointed out, industry, the local community-based organizations, they're all players in this place. So geographies and sectors need to be covered. We're undertaking, obviously, training. Uh, we want to revisit education, textbooks, curricula. We're going in to address the political angle of, of lobbying and getting politicians to understand not only the urgency, but the opportunity that they've got. We're pushing on the research and innovation side. Very importantly, it's about dissemination and communications. So it's not just having people getting together, talking to each other. We want to show proofs of concept, get the resources that we need to go out there and demonstrate again and again and again how this all works. So 
our next step is scaling up. I think that's the best way I would put it. So scaling up in terms of acquiring more members or spreading the influence of the work that you've already achieved. Like, is that, I mean, just tell me, shut up, if we haven't, if we can't actually say anything tangible. <laughs> Let me give you a specific example of what we're about talking about Ukraine. We have developed some principles for anybody who will be working in Ukraine, and we're trying to socialize them, get people to take on board these principles that if you're going to do work in Ukraine, you're going to respect the following things. And I'm not going to list out those principles now, but I'll give you a specific example. If we end up with a Starbucks on every corner in Ukraine, we will have failed miserably. So the idea of working in Ukraine is to be of, by, and for Ukrainians, respecting Ukrainian culture and history and the rest of it. So these principles are aiming in, in that direction. Yeah. We also recognize that the work of the Enniscorthy Forum is not going to rebuild Ukraine. It's way bigger than we can ever do. So we're putting together, we have put together a project which is going to focus on a very specific community engaged with the local players saying, here's what happens in that community if you do this the right way. So we're going to start off small. This was Pat Cox's main theme when he spoke last week. Start off small, but try to have a much bigger impact by demonstrating what you're doing. The same is true for the Buildings Action Coalition writ large. We want to go global, so find players around the place. Um, last week, we had 10. Next week, we're going to have 25 coalition members. And we're going to make sure we populate them in different places. And it'll spread widely. Then at some point, we'll staff up with more players within the Secretariat to be able to achieve more. So we'll build on and build on and build on and we'll grow as rapidly as we can. The objective is not growth. The objective is impact. So the impact is defined by the targets. And there is a... So I suppose at the moment you're fomenting... Fomenting? That's not right. Uh, you're You're developing what this response actually is. You know the sorts of people you need, but the mission is so big as to be almost indefinable beyond the targets. It needs to be broken down into smaller chunks because what you've described is building performance in terms of energy, but you've also described building performance in terms of livability. And these are inextricably linked. They are not separate things. Is that right? We have a guru group, a thought leadership group, that is in the process of developing a draft protocol for consideration by the United Nations on high-performance buildings. You've said some of it already, but it's trying to deal with the efficiency, energy efficiency. It's trying to deal with carbon efficiency. It's trying to deal with affordability and resilience. And when I say resilience, it's social, economic, and environmental resilience. It's looking at health. It's looking at social justice. There's a, I think there's 10 different measures that we think high-performance buildings done right should be able to deliver. They're going through a process of quantifying what those, what are the measures, how do you quantify them, and then looking at different countries, what are the right strategies for how do you get there? So by the time we get, it's a UN process, so it'll take several years. By the time the world commits to these, we hope that we will have actually moved a long way towards them along, um, in different places. Fantastic. And that's what I mean by impact. 
I mean, it's really heartening having someone taking up this challenge. I was just, yesterday I was editing uh, part of a new podcast series that we're doing through this channel. Uh, so I was, edit Jeff, I was editing the interview with Kate DeSilencourt about, uh, the theme of the episode was about how buildings are not fit for purpose in the UK, often. And uh, Kate summed it up. Quite one of our reporters. Uh, so this is just to explain. This is this is based on a series of articles based on um, Lloyd Alter, the Canadian, based on his reading of the articles in Passive Plus magazine. Uh, if I understand correctly. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go, yeah. Go for there. Well, I mean, that's for you guys, not for the episode. Like our listeners know who Lloyd is because he's been on twice recently, and Kate was on. So Kate was on last year for the overheating episode that we did. She very succinctly put it that uh, all too often, the actual building is an inconvenience in the process, the way we approach the built environment, particularly in the UK. And I know it is often the case in Ireland too, presumably America and much of the West, where the land is what retains the value. The building is a way of maximizing the land's value. So actually getting it on there, like you can make a lot of money just out of the planning applications. And it's the sucker who has to actually build the buildings, who has the hardest job. And then the ongoing labor is the people who actually have to live or exist in the buildings and they have to put up with whatever they're given. Or die in the buildings, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so performance of the building, the, the greatest interest is, is placed on maximizing the value of the land. If that performs well, the most powerful people are happy. And we are only just really beginning to reckon once again with improving the quality of the buildings to improve the performance by all those other metrics. Because, well, we have to now, don't we? I, um, When I was up there signing the letter of intent with Owen Murphy, Michael Bennett took me around to visit the occupants of some social houses that he had built to the high standard. And there were four four homes, one next to each other. And I, I spoke to the occupants. And they were just beyond delighted, besides being just characters. First of all, their energy bills had tanked. When they would put their clothing out to dry, um, it was still clean when it was dry because they weren't drying it in front of the chimney. And there were no particulates on the clothing at the end of the day. Um, there was no mold or mildew in the home health issues and allergy issues just disappeared. So there were no more missed days from school and no parent who had to take time off from work to take care of the sick kid again and again. That sounds like good news, but that wasn't the good news. The good news was the waiting list in Ireland for social housing is quite long. People were calling up the authorities and say, move me lower on the list. I want one of these cool houses. I don't want one of the classic houses. And immediately you realize that you've got something that delivers the kind of quality of life that people aspire to. And this is doable at the same cost as the classic homes. That's why, you know, when we're expanding out to find other partners, we're looking out for people who are passionate believers who are going to carry the charge forward. And as long as they meet those criteria, that's great. At the summit, we had a closing session on education. And you had one after another people coming on, showing education for youth and education. And they were just all so enthusiastic. But by the end of the summit, 
we had a room people room full of people who wanted to go out there and build quality homes and that's exactly the effect we want to have i have to say the 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 presentation we have to get the people from from uh from brequity um in baltimore on because that was just extraordinary uh the best presentation i've ever seen it was a zoom presentation but it was just inspiring to see the stories and to see the engagement that that uh michael is, it, is that the name of the fellow michael um rosenbaum i think rosenbaum yeah um uh the 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 baseball the wall street banker turned baseball coach turned kind of uh retrofit uh organizer um and uh and kind of helping to identify new career paths for for these young kids in kind of disadvantaged areas but what really came from that was the the identification of the career paths came from the kids yeah they told their baseball coach that they needed to find a way to find work because they didn't have the skills to be able to work locally and they were from the most deprived area in, in 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 their state more or less i think and more than half the homes in that city are are vacant so to be able to buy up the homes to actually uh, do up and retrofit, they can buy them very cheaply. But what they're doing is buying them and training the youngsters, the young young men and women, in the work and how to do it. And I, it was just, it was amazing. I, I have to say, I want to go over. I just want to see it in reality. Yeah. It was amazing and you're right it was so important that it came from the kids too it's like um it's not this thing of the well-meaning uh misplaced kind of a wet liberal uh uh white man coming in it's you know i am the benevolent soul who's going to come in and the white savior Jeff. Yeah, exactly that's the one um so uh it's it, you know and I see that as well in, you know, there's a, there was a sense of that coming through in other aspects of the summit as well. I mean, I saw that with, with um, Andy Simmons and his, his presentation on the Tanzania project as well. And, you know, and, and the work that he's trying to do there on Pakistan, which is, you know, he's trying to, to uh, he's almost kind of ashamed to, to, to appear um, because of the, the British kind of colonial past in these parts, you know, um, and um, to try and find a way to engage uh uh where you are really listening and you're and you're and you're uh you're putting it's this whole user focused approach isn't it you're you're putting the people that you're working with um and who who whose lives you're hoping will be improved by this um at the center of it and you're just trying to to to, to do what you can to kind of bring uh some some of the know-how that might be applicable you know um yeah it's working out the needs of the situation not you needing to be the one that fixes the situation which is that- all too often. Like all that said, these these things always do need a charismatic leader to set them up, which I think is something we were discussing with the folks at Warm the other week. And then the subsequent situation is you need to set up the team who can deliver it, which it appears is what you're doing with the coalition. The third step is setting up the pipeline, the infrastructure for delivery, where you can enable the team to stay together, build on their experiences and expand, which if you're doing it on a global level, because I've heard Tanzania mentioned, Nairobi, uh, I can't remember where Andy was in Pakistan. Yeah, he's like, in northern Pakistan, yeah. yeah, in Some, some of the flood afflicted regions, actually. Uh, he was he landed there not, you know, weeks after the, the, the flooding had happened last year. Um, so it was kind of an extraordinary situation to be in, to be looking at... Um, about looking at solutions to to uh, deliver sort of sustainable building 
in a way that would be appropriate for that kind of context and for those people um, at a time like that. It's, you know, it's, yeah, extraordinary experience, you know. Um, I, I feel very difficult talking about, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but th- th- these are challenging subjects to talk about um, because you bring, you know, you're, you're aware of, of where you are in the conversation. Barbara, and you've got to leave us now. Um, thank you so much for, for giving. Uh, I thank you. I was trying not to interrupt. That's why I typed it in, but I have to go. I had postponed other stuff from three. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. For thank your you. Care. Talk to you again. Great. See you. Cheers. Bye. Yeah, uh, it, we should say that um, that this or, this podcast was organized very hastily. So uh, we're very grateful to Scott and to Barbara Ann for being able to to uh, to, to step in. I had hoped that the don't, don't reveal the secrets, though, Jeff. It was all perfectly planned. No, nothing went wrong. So I'm going <laughs> to blow the gaff when I record the intro late this evening. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I give us a very brief summary from the summit? Yeah, because please. Um, we've talked about a lot of things, and I think for us that summit really was stepping out of the shadows. Um, we've got the MOU that we um, developed over quite some time with uh, the UN uh, that was signed, and now we've kind of come out and announced it to everybody. And in that process, we've brought in uh, partners. I think the number's up to 20. So formal signing ceremony at the um, at the castle. Uh, we had pikes and men dressed up in in uh, chevalier clothes, and so it was very impressive setting to bring coalition members into that agreement. Uh, you yourselves are in line um, once we've gone through the due diligence, which is a requirement from UNEP. Uh, then we'll have another signing ceremony. We'll find an exotic place for that to happen. So. The partnership with the UN being announced and the bringing in to that partnership uh, the various networks that we've got in place. The second one is the strong encouragement for Ireland to join the building's breakthrough target. Mm-hmm. And as I said, we've already got that onto the government's agenda. And lo and behold, we heard the French government representative, uh, Yves Laurent Sapouval, um, advise that he could use our help with some of the other countries that they're trying to get on board. And it's the kind of thing, if you can get enough players involved working to a common outcome, that makes that outcome much more likely. So I'm quite pleased uh, with that development. We also announced a very major program of projects and activities. Uh, The document itself is 23 pages long. There are 24 therein, but in fact, there are really 25 um, because the Ukraine project isn't in that list. But it covers a bunch of different categories, and it talks about all of these different things that we're trying to achieve. And people's eyes bug out when they say, wow, you're trying to do all of that? We're trying to make sure all of that gets done, and we're trying to orchestrate so our coalition is able to deliver on it. Uh, rural retrofits, by for example, Naomi would be running that. And she's got a keen interest not only for the state of Maine in the United States, but also working with other people who are working with different challenges in the rural environment. Again, the network can help one another. We've got Carnegie Mellon and Penn State very keen on the building's uh, grid interface. And we've got Mike Oldak and Kay Aiken who will be working on that. So yes, 25 different projects, but different players who are interested in the different ones. We heard the plans from Kingspan to develop this building technology campus 280 million euros near Lviv, 
um, in Ukraine, and that was all presented. We're likely going to proceed with Kingspan to get the specific project program moving forward. And we have Pat Cox on board to work with us on that. So that's also extremely important. And then the final thing is we briefed um, various ministers on the Thursday on the outcomes. So in terms of this first inaugural BAC summit, it went off with a bang, having been organized in the course of five weeks. So you're worried about this podcast having been done last minute. I think what we did last week was done last minute, and we're delighted with the outcomes we've achieved. Yeah, that was extraordinary. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I have a, another project that I'm involved in, which, I, which I've mentioned to you in private before, Scott, in mind with this too. Supposing, let's say, a bank um, was in, was interested in uh, something like the works that the, this coalition is doing, is it possible for private organizations like that to, to to interface with this coalition, or how do you see that happening? The bank that's trying to to that's interested in in um, developing the market for or developing a product, uh, financial product around uh, green lending. Absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, a number of our partners are NGOs and they're nonprofits, but that's not true with all of them. Uh, we work with the likes of Covestra or Danfoss, etc. So they're all involved. Nothing would prevent a bank from being involved. We initiated discussions. They have not come to conclusion yet, but they're ongoing with AIB. Um, and the thinking that we have is whenever people look at a retrofit project, they compare the energy savings to the energy costs before and after the retrofit, and they draw some judgment as to whether it makes financial sense for them. My argument, one, is we've got to reduce the costs on the side and improve the, the benefits. But if we can extract the values of the other outcomes, uh, health in particular, yeah. suddenly you open up a much wider community of retrofits to um, an opportunity side. So if we can get the banks to come in with a product and they can see the revenue stream that this product will attract, that makes it more likely that they're prepared to finance it. I just see great opportunity. Absolutely, there. yes. Well, great. Uh, I see great opportunity there, given the the pressure that the banks are under now in light of in in Europe, in light of the the EU taxonomy and all of the related uh, regulation that's coming in in that space, and uh, the kind of sc- the, the the panic that seems to be occurring in that community now about you know going even ahead of the the the, the, the taxonomy on on environmental, social, and governance issues um so yeah the project i uh, mentioned is this a smarter for eu project it's a pan-european collaboration including ukraine um and a number of other countries um uh to uh to try and develop the market for uh for green mortgages green development finance and other green financial instruments to to um to facilitate the uptake of kind of verified green buildings basically you know um so uh, yeah um We'd be keenly interested in that. So let's pursue that discussion. Another example is that I pitched to the German government uh, the ICI project, the International Climate Initiative. They do some major funding. uh, And they came through with a $24 million project looking at uh, Central Asia, Eastern Europe. The Russian invasion hasn't helped that um, Ukraine chapter of that project at all. But the idea is let's not just look at the built environment. 
Let's look at the supply chain that delivers into it. So it's dealing with the embedded carbon angle. Can we come up with the right products and have everybody in the supply chain also be in alignment with the objectives? Because it's when, and this is a quote direct from Jim Gannon, when you're able to affect the building industry at a global scale, that's when you're moving the dial. So that's what this Icky project was about. And we'd like to replicate that in other places. Fantastic. On, on an AIB front, they have recently launched a low interest development finance or reduced interest development finance product linked to the Irish Green Building Council's uh, sustainability rating system. So um, I, I, that's a conversation to be had because the, their head of sustainability seems very, Paul Kelly is very engaged and an interesting guy, you know. Um. So we're at a state now where uh, the coalition is coming together. Plans are being made. Ambitions are being raised, even from the, the, the lofty targets that were being set for you at the very start of the process. So do you have a call to action for folk? Like there are places where they can go and check this out. So the the Enniscorthy Forum's website is available and the Buildings Action Coalitions, the videos so far, the webinars are there. So that's one thing. But what else is there? Well, there could be people. Just Scott, is it is it just to build on that? And sorry for jumping in, um, Scott. If there are listeners here uh, from from different kinds of organisations, you know, up to and including local authorities, you know, municipalities, or whatever. Um, um, yeah, that's that was my point, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. shut up. Yeah, uh, there's so much <laughs> for them to get involved, isn't there? It's much better coming out of an Irish mouth than a uh, than a, a dirty English imperialist voice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I apologise for colonialism. <laughs> you better. <laughs> um, I would say that we're in a process of outreach. Um, I will be organising. We are going to be organising with UNEP. Um, outreach to all global ABC members to make them aware. And I've been asked by UNEP to reach out to other parties. So um, United Nations Development Program, the um, UN Ops, the Operations Group. There's a whole family of UN organizations that we want to work through. And each one has their nodes and their networks. So um, if you go to everybody one by one in the world, that becomes 9 billion contacts. But if you can go through these networks and you can reach out to people much more quickly and much more efficiently. So in terms of bringing people into the Action Coalition, um, like Groucho Marx, I would not be want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. We have to do a filtering process to make sure we've got the right community. And it's not just a box checking exercise to say that I belong to this, that, and the other. We want people coming on board who will actually really deliver serious outcomes. And that will be our primary filter. In addition to that outreach on the membership side, we're going to be doing serious outreach on the funding side. Um, so I've been getting recommendations from people, um, Rothschilds, um, uh, uh, Bloomberg's, etc., of who can we approach to get funding for uh, support over the course of a year uh, for specific projects. So it's the resourcing, it's the outreach, and it's really the communication strategy are all part of our next steps. Okay. And to quote a previous president, yes, we can. And to expand on that, yes, we will. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. All right, then. Well, 
Is there any way you would like to send people, Scott, to take a look, uh, a further look? We would like them to join on our webinars when we have a broadly open webinar where we're talking about the work we're doing. Uh, we'd like them to go to our website uh, and we'd like them to participate in the different events that we're putting on. We also want our membership to help us with the recruitment through word of mouth. So all of these are channels. Um, we're not active enough on social media and we want to pick up that game as well. Cool. So getting at the beginning. That's... Well, Buildings Action Coalition by TikTok. Maybe I can get somebody to do a TikTok on that. <laughs> yeah. We want this to have more impact than Bitcoin. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. No, yeah. seriously. Um, if our New York City's average dwelling consumes 490 kilowatt hours per square meter per year, the passive house objective for just space conditioning is 15. By the time you include retrofit and plug-in loads and water heating, it goes up to 90. So just in New York City, which is an advanced city, there's a, a an opportunity to move from 490 to 90. That's a world-shifting opportunity. If we're good at what we're doing, we should be able to start seeing that shift actual happening. And that's what we want to achieve. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So we'll put all the links to everything in the show notes. Uh, that will go out. Uh, so, yeah, take a look there. Um, I've got a call on with um, Jonathan Duin. He is my main contact at the Global ABC. He's the man at UNEP who runs that secretariat. And we're trying to put on July 12th an, an open um, uh, webinar talking about precisely this issue, the Buildings Action Coalition. So if we do get that, um, and I've told you now you can put this on the webcast, it's a hypothetical, but if it actually happens, broadcasting that out for people to sign on would be great okay. excellent i'm sure we can help with that yeah that'd be great all right well great. thank you so Good much for have... joining us it's been a pleasure i appreciate very much the opportunity to speak about this as you can tell we really believe in this program so we're driving it forward as full throttle brilliant um all right well uh we'll let you get off then um we'll all start preparing for our next meetings off to artichokes. Yes. All right. Good luck. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bonne soirée. Merci beaucoup. Merci.